Well, hello, good morning. I don't know about you, but that's some powerful worship this morning. And uh, God is here with us, and we are here with you. And I wanted to just say, for those of you who are here in Northridge, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, no matter how you're here, why you're here, um, we're just glad that you are here. And this is a safe place for you. This is a safe place for you to ask the questions that you have about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, about faith. Because I know you have questions, because we all have questions about those things. We all question those things, whether it's from a place of doubt, whether it's a place of faith, or whether it's somewhere in between, we all have those questions. And so this is a safe place. We look forward to those questions. We want you to ask those questions. So thank you for being here. So what I want to do today is I want to start by showing you some words. And the first, words I, first word I want to show you is acrophobia. Now this is interesting. I did not know Susanna was going to talk about fear today. I really didn't. Her and I did not talk. We did talk before service, but we didn't talk about that. Agoraphobia is the fear of heights. Some of you in here probably have that. Some of you have a healthy version of it. Some of you would like stand on a chair or stand on this stage and you would get a little bit crazy, right? Because the height thing is a problem. So that's kind of a more normal, kind of, kind of a, a common one, one that we hear about a lot, fear of heights. But what if I were to give you some other words, some other words that are not as common? For example, omphalophobia. Have you ever heard of this one? Omphalophobia. This is the fear of belly buttons. No kidding. I'm not messing around here. It's the fear of belly buttons. Just so we're, we're clear, I have somebody in my family, they're not scared of belly buttons. They just don't like them. They're like, ooh, they're just gross, you know? That's what, uh, anyway, that, I'm just, uh, I'm, that's TMI, I get it, but uh, when, when you get me, you get a little TMI, right? That's just kind of how it is. You learn a lot about me and about my family. Here's another one, arachibutyrophobia, yes, that's a real word, is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. This is real clinical stuff. Like, this is actually, again, it's really rare. A lot, most people don't deal with this, but this is really, like, actual phobias. Here's another one. This is my, might be some that, uh, that some of us deal with. Ergophobia is the fear of work. Some of you are being cruel. Don't look at them right now. Some of you are like, oh, I knew there was a problem with you. <laughs> Some of you, like, you're like poking. I saw this. I was waiting for it. Yeah. Now, this is one that I think some of us in here deal with. Nomophobia is the fear of being without your mobile phone. How many of you think you might at least have a tendency in that one? I would just say I might have a little bit of that one. Some of you are not brave enough to admit, okay. Uh, some of us have nomophobia in here. You're like, oh, I'm naked without my phone. I don't have my phone. And this last one, I'm not even going to try to say, but I will just say this. It started out actually as a joke and now has become the official, unofficial word for this fear. So it's not really like in some dictionaries it'll be there, in some medical places it'll be there, and in some they're like, no, that's a hoax word. So it's kind of official, unofficial, but here's the word. Again, I'm not going to try to say it, but get what, guess what this is. Okay, let's, let's see it. Oh, phobia, phobia. What do you think? Fear of fears, right? Now, this is the one I thought we were going to. Let's put that one up there. Take a look at this word. <laughs> 
It's a, it's a real word, I kid you not. It, again, it's in some dictionaries, I'm not in some others. But you know what this is? This is, I kid you not, I showed this a few years ago in a service. This is the fear of long words. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is the fear of long words. How cruel is that? That One of the longest words in the English language is to describe the fear of long words, all right? So it's ironic. Well, the truth is that today we're starting a brand new series. Uh, we finished a series, Puzzled by the Bible, last week, so we're starting a new series today, and the new series today is very simply words. Words. What we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to take one word, and we're going to focus on that one word each Sunday. It's going to be a different word each Sunday, but we're going to take one word, and guess what today's word is? You probably figured it out by all the words that I already used. Today's word is fear. Today's word is fear. Now, fear is definitely a part of our world, isn't it? It's one of those things, I gave you a bunch of different kind of weird phobias, but fear is a part of our world. Some of us fear spiders. Some of us fear heights. Some of us fear losing our phone, our cell phone. But if we were going to be honest, there's also serious fears out there. Some of us fear relationships. Some of us fear losing a job. Maybe some of us are facing that fear even right now. Some of us, like Susanna mentioned, some of us are fearing news that is about to come or news that has come, and so we have fear because of that. I know of many people in here that are dealing with some fear, some real fear, some real things that they're facing. The truth is that we all have to deal with fear, and, and I just want to pause for a moment. This is, I think this is really important, but I was trying to prepare a sermon on fear, and so it was very difficult to prepare this sermon this week, and the reason was not because it was hard to kind of come up with, I knew what God wanted me to say, but because my heart and my mind kept going to people over in Ukraine who are living in incredible fear right now. Fear of losing not only their home, but their business and their family and maybe even their lives. You've seen the news, you've seen the pictures, and regardless of what political side people are on and whether they support Russia or they support Ukraine, let me just say this, people are suffering and they're in fear, and so we should pray for them. Amen? I want to encourage you and challenge you with something. This week, you're going to see a lot of news. The next several weeks, you're going to see a lot of news and pictures on Russia and Ukraine. Can I ask you to do something? Don't just blindly just read that or, or do that or repost it. I'm glad you want to share your thoughts and all that kind of stuff on social media. Can I tell you a more helpful thing? A more helpful thing would be stop and pray for those people. And then I want to ask you to take another step. I want you to pray for yourself. And then I want you to listen and ask God, what does he want you to do? I don't know what that's going to be. But ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this situation? Maybe it's just to keep praying. That's fine. But ask God, what should I do? What can I do? Because the people are in fear. And one of the greatest things we have is access to God and his power. And so let's make sure that we use that on behalf of people who desperately need it today. Today. But today's topic is fear. Now, the truth is that we could go a lot of different directions with fear, couldn't we? 
We could talk about how God takes away fear. We could talk about all kinds of things. But today I want to talk about something that is going to be maybe a little bit harder, but it's a question that I get probably more often than most other questions. And so this is coming out of a very practical place. A lot of times I get this question, and this question is, kind of goes something like this. Brent, if we are supposed to love God, and if God loves us, why does the Bible consistently, from cover to cover, tell us that we need to fear Him? Did you realize that? That in the Bible, it consistently, the consistent message is, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, you might be here and saying, I'm not sure if it says it. At least maybe not a lot. Well, let me just tell you, that I have a mountain of verses that I could have shared. We'd be here until past lunchtime today, but I'm going to share four of them with you just to show you that it says this all the time. Let me just give you some, some examples. Proverbs 8.13 says this, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. It's kind of a this or this kind of a thing, right? All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Proverbs 3.7, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom, Anybody ever impressed with their own wisdom? I am sometimes. <laughs> no, seriously, talk to my family. I know I say that all the time, but I, like some of you don't believe me. You're like, no, you're a pastor. You're humble. Like you're, you're not impressed with your own wisdom. No, 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 really, sometimes I am. My family can tell you. Sometimes it's like, okay, Brent, you're not always right. I've heard that a lot of times in my own home. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Psalm 34, 7, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who, all who what? All who fear him. Proverbs 29, 25, Fearing people is a dangerous trap. By the way, I have sometimes a problem with that one myself. I admit that readily. Sometimes I fear people more than God. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So fearing the Lord, fearing God, is something that God actually wants us to do. But the question is, that doesn't seem to make sense with the fact that he also loves us. It seems to do this, doesn't it? Some of us are here and we're like, okay, if I'm supposed to fear the Lord, but the Lord loves me, God, I fear God, but God loves me, and I'm supposed to love God, that doesn't seem to go together in my mind. Anybody else in here like struggling with that a little bit? Well, the answer to that is that God didn't design it that way. That was not his, his original intent was not to fear him in this way. And so I want to take you to the very beginning of the origins of the universe to kind of prove this. So let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. And, and I want to talk about this. Now let me just set up the, the context as we learned in the last series, Puzzled by the Bible, God created the world perfectly. Remember that? God created the world and in, 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 he made it perfect. There was no problems, there was no pain, there was no fear, there was no shame, there was nothing. It was perfect. And he put the first man and the first woman into the perfect world. And then he said, there's one thing that you cannot do. Do not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that's in the center of the garden. Everything else, you can eat anything else you want. You can have all the Twinkies, and you can have the little Caesars, and you can have all the, right? You can have all that stuff. Absolutely. Just don't eat the free from the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
But you know what Adam and Eve did? We all know what Adam and Eve did. They ate the fruit. No! Would have been so much easier without that problem. And sin entered, and it messed up the world. And so the question I have for you is, those of you that maybe have read Genesis chapter 3 or have heard it preached on many, many times, let me ask you this. What happens in that very moment when they taste the fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to eat from? What happens right in that moment and what happens right after that? Do you remember? I want to read it because it's important. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 6. Listen to what it says. It says, the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now, some of us, we kind of, we put the blame on the woman. Okay, let me read the next part just so that we're really clear, all right? Just so that we, this is important, right? She, then she gave some to her husband. They're like, see, she started it. She gave some to her husband. But then this next part we forget. Who was with her? And he ate it too. In other words, the man could have stepped up and said, no, 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 Eve, we're not supposed to do it. He could have, but he didn't. They were both equal partners in sin, just so that we're clear. They both eat the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. But then listen to what it says. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. What did they feel? Shame. At their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now catch this, what Adam says. Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten the tree? whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you notice what happens when they took a bite of the fruit? What two things entered their world that had not been there before? Shame and fear. Shame and fear entered with sin. It wasn't there before. It was not a problem before. Shame and fear entered when sin entered. And so, this was not God's plan to have us fear Him. But let me just tell you that in a perfect world, fear and love are intertwined. They go together. In an imperfect world. Not in the world that God designed, but in an imperfect, sinful world, fear and love go together, actually. Now, some of you are here and you're like, okay, I'm struggling with this because you want to quote scripture to me, don't you? You're like, I've read some scripture. Susanna quoted some scripture just a little bit ago, just a few minutes ago. I actually want to quote that scripture right now. You'd have no idea I was going to actually read this scripture today. This is amazing how God works. Isn't this cool? I had no idea. We did not plan this. Susanna just quoted the scripture. I want to quote it as well. 1 John 4.18. Listen to what it says. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so here we are, we have this juxtaposition, this, this conundrum, this problem that we're supposed to fear the Lord, yet we have this verse from one of Jesus' disciples writing, there is no fear in love. 
So which one is true? Well, the answer is that they're both true. That in order to have love, you have to have fear, and in order to have fear, it will lead you to love. They are intertwined in an imperfect world. Now, in order to explain this, I want to take you to a different story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. It's one that you've probably heard of. It's called the prodigal son. You guys have heard it many, many times. And I want to take us to that story, so let me kind of just give you the context for the story because I'm not going to read the whole thing. So Jesus is telling this story, and it's about this younger son who goes to his father, and he says, Father, I want to go live my life. I want nothing to do with this family anymore. I want out, and so give me my money now. I want my inheritance now. I'm going to go live and do what I want. So if you can just pay me now, I'm out. See you later. And so the father gives him the money. Now understand that the son is doing something that is, in our culture, would be disrespectful. In that culture, was it, it's hard to communicate how horrible this was that he did. You did not disrespect, especially the patriarch in this culture, you did not disrespect by asking for your inheritance early. It did not happen. It was not something that was okay. The father could have easily said at this point, he could have disowned him as a son and said, you get no inheritance, see you later. He had every right in this culture to do that. And he would have had no punishment. In fact, he would have been backed up by the authorities. But he doesn't. He gives the son the money. And the son runs off and he squanders all of the wealth, all of the living, uh, in wild living parties. He just lives against God's will, all that kind of stuff. And he blows all of his money away. And then at about the time that his money is all gone, a famine hits the land. A famine hits. And now he's got no money, he's got no food, and so he has to find a job. And the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now, this job in that culture was one that nobody wanted. This was the worst of the worst of the worst jobs. I'm not saying because it was feeding pigs. Pigs were considered an unclean animal in their culture. And so if you did this, you were unclean. You could not be a part of normal society. Nobody wanted this job. And so he got a job feeding pigs just to pay the bills, just to kind of get something. But the problem is he's sitting there and he's starving. And the Bible says, Jesus says, he gets so hungry, he starts starving and he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. I don't know about you, but have you seen what pigs eat? And how they eat it? Right? How many of you just want to mm, dig into that? How many of you look at those troughs and you're like, mmm, man, that's going to be good? No. But it's looking appetizing to him. And what he realizes is, I need to get out of this. I need to return home. What am I doing here? I had it good. And now, this is my existence. And so he returns back to his father. And I want to read for you what happens in that moment. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 20. So he, the son, returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, 
Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So the party began. So from this story, I see three things, three reasons why fear is necessary in an imperfect world with love. So I want to unpack those three things from this story. The first one is fear leads to awe. Fear leads to awe and wonder. It truly does. So, for example, if you think about the younger son, the younger son realized, okay, man, I'm looking at the slop from the pigs and all this stuff, and he's looking at this, he's like, this is not awe. This is not wonder, right? What I had was awe and wonder when I was back home with my family and in relationship with my father. I had awe and wonder back then, but now I don't. He had lost it. And so he goes back, and the truth is that when we have the awe of God in front of us, it puts us in the right perspective. For example, uh, you guys know that for me, one of the most awe-inspiring things are mountains. So I want to just show you a picture. This is, this is one I, I could have showed you a thousand pictures, right? How many of you would say that's awe-inspiring? Like, that is awesome, right? My wife actually, when she was putting this together, she put this on. She's like, oh, that is beautiful. That is awesome. And I'm like, that's why I drag you there all the time. I love the mountains. They bring, I, I'm, I feel closer to God in the mountains than anywhere else. I really do. I love the mountains. They remind me of the power and the size and the majesty. If God can create something that big, how much better and more beautiful must God be? Now, some of you, this is not awe-inspiring. This just looks cold to you. I get that. Some of you are like, eh, it's okay. So some of you, this is not going to be for all of you, but some of you, this is awe-inspiring. Let's go to the next one. There you go. Some of you are like, ah, especially February in Wisconsin. You're like, ah, that's awe-inspiring for you. Right? Good. I'm glad. That's awe-inspiring. But just imagine the one who created that. It puts the awe and wonder back in. Let me take it one step further. So you guys know I've done this before, but think about our universe. You guys know we're part of the Milky Way galaxy, right? You guys know that. We're part of the Milky Way galaxy. And so if you look at our galaxy, we can't actually look at our galaxy because we have never been able to get outside of our galaxy. But if we were to look at our galaxy, we know that our galaxy is kind of like a spiral shape. And, uh, and we know that, it, that it's pretty big, okay? Now, understand that the Milky Way galaxy is one of millions or maybe billions of other galaxies in the universe. We're just one galaxy out of millions or billions, but did you know that if you wanted to try to travel from one end of our galaxy to the other, like in terms of how it's flat, spiral, one end to the other, if you were to travel at the speed of light, which is seven times around the earth in one second, 186,000 miles per second, that's how fast light goes, that's why when you turn on the switch, you can't see it. It used to be, a couple hundred years ago, they thought that light was instantaneous. It's not instantaneous. It has to travel. It just goes so fast that we can't perceive it. 
186,000 miles per second. If you were traveling at the speed of light, it would take you between 100 and 200,000 years to cross the Milky Way galaxy. If that doesn't make your brain hurt, I don't know what will. Right? That's hard to imagine something that big. And we're one of millions or billions of galaxies out there. And then consider what it says in God's Word, in the Bible. It says that God is able to measure the galaxies, the heavens, the stars with His hands, with His fingers. Some of you are like, man, that's hard to believe. Yeah, it is. And you want to mess with God? Go for it. Right? I mean, you, you go. Absolutely. That's like me trying to mess with Reggie White or some of these other guys you know, in the NFL and be like, hey, I can take you. <laughs> you know what happens? That's the last thing I'm ever going to say. I'm, oh, it's, I'm done. Right? Awe puts us in the right perspective with God. It reminds us of who God is and puts us in the right place so that we can approach Him. And that brings me to the second thing that fear does. Fear leads to obedience. Fear leads to obedience. Let's go back to our son, uh, our story. So our, the prodigal son, he runs home. Now, let me just tell you what he doesn't do. And you guys know this. What he doesn't do is he doesn't run home and be like, Dad, I'm here. The son, your favorite son, has returned. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Let's go. I mean, I kind of messed up, but we're good, right? Let's do this. Is that how the son approached his dad? Heck no. No way. That's not how he came in. Listen to what he says when he's in front of his father. What does he say? Verse 21. His son said to him, his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. In other words, the prodigal son returned to his father and said, Dad, I messed up. I messed up bad. I'm not worthy of even being your son. I know. But if you'll have me, I'll be one of your servants. If you'll at least allow me just to stay here, I'll take it. In other words, the son returned to his father with awe and obedience. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And let's be honest, we know that fear is a healthy thing, right? We don't like to talk about fear because on the one side is what Susanna said, right? Fear that is trembling and terror and scared of what will come because of, you know, whatever it is, a medical thing or, or punishment from God or whatever, lightning striking you, right? There's that fear, but then there's also the healthy kind of fear, isn't there? For example, if you're hiking along and you come across one of these guys, okay, how many of you are like, woo, yeah, some of you, like, you just get little, right now, I saw that, your face contorted a little bit, you're like, like some of you turned your eyes down, you're like, I don't even want to look at that thing. I grew up in South Dakota, I ran into a lot, and let me tell you, I did, I ran into a ton of these things. 
a lot of prairie. This is not like a green rattlesnake, but, but we had prairie rattlesnakes out in South Dakota. All over the place, everywhere. There was one time when, when I was walking, my dad was, was in front of me, and Bryce and I were right behind him. We were going up this ravine, and my dad went to step on a rock, and there was a, a, a rattlesnake that looked very, very similar to that. It was all coiled up, and it had its, its, actually its mouth was open, but it was silent as can be. So don't believe any scientists or any that, that tell you rattlesnakes will always like let you know and warn you. They don't. I'm just saying, it was absolutely silent, like deadly silent. And it's sitting there, poised like this, and my dad, I kid you not, was about to step on it, on the rock that he was about to step on going up this. And so he went like this, and he shoved Bryce and I backwards down, and we tumbled back, all three of us tumbled back down kind of the ravine a little bit. And, uh, and then we did the only thing we should do. We killed it and took it home to show mom. She didn't love it so much. I'm just saying, we did get a nice little shriek out, so that was good. We kind of, as boys, we kind of enjoyed that. But the truth is that if you come across this, you should have a healthy dose of fear. Don't just grab the thing. It can do damage. It's dangerous. Let me take it one step further. Some of you, you have a fear of heights, and let's be honest, though, there's a healthy dose of fear that we should have because gravity, there's the thing called gravity, what goes up must come down, right, on earth. And so when you're climbing and all that kind of stuff, this is a major thing. In fact, I have a picture of Alex Honnold. He's a free climber. He does not use ropes. Some of you are like, that's not a healthy dose of fear. <laughs> I'm with you, actually, on that. I love mountains, but I'm not crazy like he is. If you've ever seen the Disney Plus documentary Free Solo, you, you've watched that. That's who this is, Alex Honnold. Now, here's the truth, though. He actually does have a healthy dose of fear as to what can happen to him. Because this is when he was climbing in Yosemite. He made that very famous climb of the wall there, but he had done it a whole bunch of times with ropes to make sure he knew where every single handhold was all the way up that rock. He knew this rock very, very well, literally like the back of his hand. He knew all the holds. He knew the moves he needed to make. And then one day he just went out and did it. He respected it enough to know, I need to learn this rock face wall before I tackle it. He had a healthy dose of fear of respect, of reverence for such a serious thing. The truth is that obedience comes when we have a proper dose of fear. You know, one of the reasons that I stay close, I won't, I won't lie and say within, but stay close to the speed limit is because I fear the repercussions that would happen if I don't, I don't want to lose my license. I'd prefer not to pay $200 or whatever it is now. Right? Do I do it to keep my family safe? Sure, absolutely. But there are times when I'm running behind, you understand. And I need to get there quicker. Anybody else relate? And so that speed limit is a great suggestion for me, but I need to push it a little bit. What keeps me close to those boundaries is a fear of reprisal. It's a healthy dose. And then the last one that we learn from this, and this is really the most important one, as you would understand. The last one that we learn from this story is that fear leads to love. 
It truly does. In an imperfect world, fear leads to love. Listen to what Proverbs 14, 27 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. I want us to understand this morning that God does not want you to live in terror. God does not want you to live in dread or fear of his punishment on you. That's not what God wants. But God does want for you to have enough fear and reverence for him that it causes you to return to him like the prodigal son. What really caused the son to return to his father? If he, if he knew his father was going to punish him, if he knew his father was going to disown him and kick him out and send him away, do you think he would have returned? Probably not. Why did he return? Because he knew deep down that he loved his father, but that his father loved him. Right? He didn't approach him pridefully. Hey, Dad, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I know I messed up, but here I am. Let's do this. You have my room ready? That's not how he approached. He approached and said, Father, I messed up. And it's because he realized two things, that God loved him and that he loved his father. And by the way, who does the father represent in the story? This is really important. The father represents God. And so maybe you're here today and maybe you're on one side or the other of the spectrum. I I know that some of you are here and you tend, maybe you grew up in a church where hell and brimstone was preached all the time and you fear the Lord. Otherwise, you need to come to the altar and get right right now. Anybody grew up in that church? Some of you did, I know. Some of you, I see your heads. Some of you have told me you did. So for some of us in here, we need to hear this. You do not need to fear God's punishment if you're under God's grace. You need to stop living in terror. You need to stop living with the fear of punishment from God. Some of you are so scared about what's going to happen to you that you won't even come near God because of the terror, the fear that you have that's not healthy. But then there's some of us maybe in here on the other side of the spectrum. You don't fear God at all. You, can, you could easily go through life without God as a part of your life. You can balance your checkbook. You can do a great job at work. You can kind of keep your family going the right direction. And you don't need to worry about it. You don't care if God is really a part of it. Every now and then, yeah, but not really. There's no fear there. There's no awe. There's no wonder. And so what I would say to anybody on that side of the spectrum, we need to move this direction and realize that we need to approach like the prodigal son did. And say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm here. But here's the great thing about God. In the story, it's very obvious. This is why Jesus told it. 
You understand why he told this story? I didn't give you the context, but he told this story because the Pharisees said, Jesus, why are you always hanging out with sinners? That's why he told this story. That's the context here. Why is Jesus always hanging around with sinners? Why is he always hanging around with people that that don't follow God? (laughs) Jesus said, let me tell you a story. The father in this story wants to do for you what he did for the prodigal son. If you would just simply humbly come to God, God will already be watching for you. And he's not going to wait for you. He's going to run to you. Do you remember what the father did? The father was not sitting on his recliner watching Netflix. Right? The father, what was the father doing? The father was standing at his gate, looking at the hill on the horizon. He was looking. He was watching. He's like, today might be the day. Today might be the day. Today might be the day. And when he saw his son come over the horizon, what, what does Jesus say in the story? What did, what did the father do? He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he gave him a kiss. That's what God wants to do for you. So no matter what you're facing, some of us in here, we're facing cancer. Some of us in here, we're facing fear of a relationship that's going the wrong direction. Some of us fear being alone because we don't have a relationship. Some of us fear what's happening inside our family dynamics. Some of us fear that what's happening in Ukraine is going to explode into all-out world war and it's going to consume our country and we're going to have to actually commit people to it. Some of us fear that. Let me just encourage you today that you have a God who loves you completely and unconditionally and that whatever fear you're facing, the only way to deal with it is to have a proper healthy dose of fear of God that makes you return to him so that he can show you how much he loves you. In fact, it's ironic, isn't it? That if we have the fear of God, it takes away the need to fear God. If you have the fear of God, it takes away the need to fear God. Are you in awe of God today? Do you fear him? And do you realize that he loves you more than you know? If you don't, my hope is that you will experience that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a tough concept for us as human beings. Because when we hear the word fear, we automatically think negative. We automatically think something that scares us. But God, the kind of fear that you talk about in your word is the kind of reverence, of awe, of humility, of respect. 
And God, there may be some people in here who have been living because they grew up in that kind of church that tried to, tried to slam the fear of God into every person every Sunday. They preached fire and brimstone and, and they wanted to make sure that people feared you. But let's be honest, there was a lot of that that was just pure terror and not a healthy dose of fear and respect and reverence. That was just fear-mongering is what it was. And so maybe there are people in here who fear you in an unhealthy way. They're, they're scared of your punishment. They're scared of who you are and what you might do. God, I pray that you would remind them that we are no longer slaves. We are no, no longer chained down. We are no longer need to be tied down to fear, that we can have the kind of peace that Susanna shared just a little while ago. The peace that, that takes our fears and dispels them, that pushes them out, that true love clearly does and actually does drive out that terror, that dread that we sometimes experience as humans. But then maybe there's some others in here who they have not really feared you at all. They don't really give you much of a thought during the week. If they pray, it's, it's just a quick thing here and there. Otherwise, they just go about their day. There's no reverence. There's no awe. There's no respect. It's as if you don't even exist in their life. God, I pray that you would remind them that fear, respect, reverence can lead them back to the greatest love that there is, the love that you have for us. So help us to be in awe of you and humble ourselves before you. And remind us that we no longer have to be tied down, stuck in fear because of your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.